Hello everyone, my name is Reese Garlinski and this is Young History, episode 103 on Hungary. The capital of this country is Budapest, and the name Hungary is actually adapted from Hungaria. That is the medieval Latin term derived by the writers from the name of the people here, who are Ungari or Ungri, which goes way back to when they kind of moved in from like a region of Russia near Siberia, that is also the kind of same backbone people group that make up the Estonians and the Finnish. So that is the Hungary, and then when you Latinize it, it's Hungary, Hungarians, and Hungarians call their country Magyarország, which is derived from the Magyars, which likely refers to the most prominent people group here, which was the Hungarian tribe known as the Magyars that maintained their population in the land all the way through evolving into the country we know as Hungary today. Another cool fact is that the Rubik's Cube was invented in Hungary by Erno Rubik. He's a Hungarian sculptor and a professor of architecture. And Hungarians make the joke that their nation is surrounded by themselves because of the prominent populations of Hungarians on the borders of nearby nations. That is a thing caused by historical borders being redrawn and stuff, and we'll get into it very soon. And also in Hungary, it is commonplace for brides to be kidnapped so that the groom has to complete a challenge to get her back the day of the wedding. And it's a very unique thing. It's not quite as aggressive as the one we saw in Kyrgyzstan where guys used to just straight up kidnap women and marry them. But this one's much more fun and lighthearted. So all those are a couple of fun facts about Hungary, which is our 103rd nation we're doing. And with that, we're going to keep the ball rolling. So thank you all so much for being here. And one more time. My name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History, and this is Hungary. Let's do this thing. Our origins begin in the 300s BC, when the Uralic people arrived in the land. Those are the same as the Ungri slash Ungari. Different names have been used. This is them. Ehrlich people were the first major people group here, and they come from Siberia and are the ancestors of the Finnish, the Estonians, and the Hungarians. Not long after this, the Celts started to inhabit the land for a time period, just before the Romans came, and then the Romans came, conquered the region right around the turn of the eras from BCE to CE, and they added their region that they had just conquered to the provinces of Pannonia and Dacia. They built cities and expanded the advancement of Rome across this region in many different ways because they had nowhere near the capabilities to expand and grow the way Rome had. So now under Roman influence, they were getting technological advancements. There was changes to societal order. Government was expanded, all sorts of things. And this would go on until the 300 CE when Rome lost control of Pannonia and it was taken over by new tribes. One of the major ones was led by Attila the Hun. He invaded the land in the mid 400 CE, and by the end of the century, he had set up Hun territory north of the Balkans. Until his death, Attila raided the lands heavily using horseback chargers. And once Western Rome officially fell, this is when other people groups had an opportunity to move into the land, and this would be when the Germanic people groups like the Goths and Gepids moved into the land not long after. Then, Slavs moved into the land during the Great Migration of Slavs around the 500s. Dacia did not have any more recorded history at around this time because it kind of just gets swept away and is uninhabited for a long time. And within 100 years, many nomadic groups from the steppes moved into the land. The most major of these nomadic groups was the Avars. 
In 670, the late Avar people group arrived into the land of modern Hungary, and they were defeated in Charlemagne in the 800s. The survivors of this defeat actually moved into the land that we know as Hungary today, and they are classified as early Magyars. It would be in the mid-1800s that the Khazar Khaganate would gain control over the land. In 1833, there was a rebellion in the Khaganate, and it led to thousands of early Magyars fleeing the region into what is now modern Ukraine. This would cause a huge mixing of people in the region, and from it, the true Hungarians were born. These people moved west into what is now Hungary. These were the Magyars. And the Magyars came from the east under the leadership of a man named Arpad in the late 800s. They are the ancestors of modern Hungarians and have occupied the land for the rest of its history until this very day. Arpad brought a lot of influence into the land. He is the reason that early Magyar culture starts when it comes to the way they dress and the way they eat and celebrate and all sorts of things like that. Those were all pushed forward by Arpad and him as well as anyone else that was involved with him at this time is considered the founders of the Hungarian culture as we know it today. In 907, there is the Battle of Pressburg, which saw the Magyars win a three-day battle against the Germans to solidify their holdings in the region. For the next five decades, Hungarians would invade Western Europe to gain resources and influence. This was halted in 955 at the Battle of Lechfield, when the Holy Roman Empire worked with other powers to defeat the Magyars. Christianity then began its spread during the reign of Giza right around the 970s because he was the first leader to allow Christianity to be preached across the Magyar nation. Then, one of the most prominent rulers in Hungarian history would come into power. This would be Stephen I. He became the first king of Hungary in the year 1000, when he was blessed by the Pope to take the throne, which had now been approved in the eyes of God. His rule saw the further spread of Christianity, the expansion of the kingdom, and consolidation of people within Hungary. Stephen I was made a saint after his rule, and this is when the name Hungary comes into play because the exposure to Christianity brought Latin influence into the land, and people of the kingdom were mostly of Ungri descent, which meant Latinized they were now living in Hungary. Lazo I invaded Croatia in the year 1091, and his successor was King Coleman. He ended up becoming the king of Croatia once he was able to consolidate power that was established early by his father, Laszlo I. Bela III ruled from 1172 to 1196. He expanded the government and pushed for the use of Magyar culture, which was something that had not been quite pursued in the last hundred years because of the fact that there was so much expansion going on, there was the encapsulation of Croatia into the region, that Magyar culture was kind of starting to slip away. So the people here unite under King Bela, who really pushes forward the idea that there should be pride around Magyar culture. And an official constitution was completed in 1222, making Hungary one of the earliest European nations to have a written constitution. But it would not be for long that stability lasted in the region, because in 1241, the Mongols arrived. They caused a year of chaos and devastation, including the killing of around half the Hungarian population. And before leaving, just a year after they arrived, huge amounts of Eastern European peoples came into the Carpathian Basin, which is where Hungary is located, because of the Mongols pushing them there and the fact that this region was much more geographically equipped to defend against anything coming into the region because of its location so close to the Carpathian Mountains, of course. 
Then we see the ruling of Bela IV, who ruled from 1235 to 1270. He bolstered the defense of the nation in the post-Mongol times, and he ordered the construction of great castles. This ended up paying dividends in 1285, because that was the year the Mongols returned with a huge force to invade the land once again. This time, the Mongols were outplayed and routed. They ended up facing a brutal defeat at the hands of the Hungarians, and this would be the last interaction between the two for the rest of history. King Louis I, or Louis the Great, united the reign once again and expanded the kingdom to its greatest extent thus far. This brought an age of peace that bloomed into cultural expansion and internal prosperity for the country. This is where we see some of the early Hungarian artists pop up, different art styles are birthed in Hungary, and music is pursued, more extravagant castles are built, all sorts of things like that are constructed during this time because now the nation had some peace and some funding to actually get done what it wanted. And then the next major event we see is the first Transylvanian peasant revolt, which occurred from 1437 to 1438. It occurred because of the high taxation and low quality of life that the lower classes experienced in this century. And this led to the wide-ranging revolt of the peasant class in Transylvania, which today is in Romania, but was in the Hungarian sphere of influence at the time. So Hungary brought its military might down upon these revolutionaries, and it led to thousands of them being injured, and then a couple of the major revolutionaries being executed or jailed. Hunyadi Janos was a Hungarian general that was the first major leader to face Ottoman invasions. He struggled against the might of the Ottomans, but he was able to win a major battle in 1456 at the Siege of Belgrade in Serbia. And this was also huge because the defeat was against Mehmed II, who was the man that made Constantinople fall. Then, the son of Hunyadianos became king of Hungary in 1458, that is, Matthias Corvinus. He was a great philosopher and a warrior because he heavily tried to mimic and kind of model himself after Marcus Aurelius, who was the kind of warrior poet slash warrior king, philosopher king, all those things of Rome. And because of that, the rule of Matthias led Hungary to expand greatly and caused the empire to inherit great strength. But on the other side of the coin, he also made Hungary the first nation to go through the Renaissance after Italy. Because he was heavily involved in philosophy and uncovering old history, he invested heavily in bringing in any of the things found in the Renaissance because the Renaissance occurs when Florentine merchants are able to sail east and get access to old texts from Anatolia, which at the time was holding a bunch of historical things because of how far the Roman Empire expanded. And King Corvinus would use some of the money he had to bring any of these possibly Hungarian-affiliated historical texts and heirlooms back to his country so that the country could now get more and more pride about their history. And the rule of this king lasts until 1490 when he saw Hungary expand into writing and art at its most major point yet. And... The country also began many beautification projects nationwide. But, as per usual, after one great ruler, there were many that were not so great. Under one of the successors of Matthias Cornivus, another Transylvanian peasant revolt occurred, and this time it was led by a man named Georgi Dozia, who was also defeated just like during the last revolt. After his defeat, he was forced to undergo a brutal form of torture. He was forced to sit naked upon an iron throne that was constructed to be burning hot in the way fresh metal is when it comes out of a smithy. 
and a bright red crown of flame made out of metal was placed upon his head as a mockery of his leadership during the revolt, which saw him claim himself as a king. And this is one of the craziest old stories of torture that come from the Middle Ages, and this one's brutal, and it shows that the Hungarians were not messing around when it came to keeping peace in their region, no matter what it meant. But internationally, things got shaky once again. The Battle of Mohaj occurred in 1526, which resulted in a huge defeat for the Hungarians at the hands of the invading Ottomans, who once again attempted to charge their way into Europe. This resulted in Hungary splitting into three parts. These parts were Transylvania, Habsburg Austria, and the Ottoman Empire. This led to the Hungarians suffering heavily because of the constant wars that happened between the Ottomans and the Austrians, who were both vying for land, especially with the Austrians trying to keep the Ottomans out of Europe. The Ottomans, the Ottomans established a provincial administrative system known as the Pashalik, with Buda as its capital. Local rulers, known as Pashas, were appointed to govern the province and collect taxes. These Pashas often had huge power over their territories and could be seen as autocrats of sorts. The Islamic influence brought by the Ottomans affected architecture, cuisine, and various aspects of everyday life. Many Hungarians converted to Islam during this period, and the interaction between different religions and ethnic groups was very common. Mosques and Muslim communities are still found in Hungary to this day, but not as prominently as they used to be. And throughout the 1500s and early 1600s, Austria and the Ottoman Empire would fight for control of the land very hard. Eventually, Austria was able to push out Ottoman influence after the Battle of Vienna in 1683. This resulted in an Austrian defensive victory and the end of Ottoman influence in Central-slash-Western Europe. But this did not mean freedom for the Hungarians, as Austrians now maintained a huge amount of control over the region. The Austrians then wanted to enforce Austrian superiority in the Hungarian region, and began taking on different policies that sought to quell the fire under Hungarian culture, to quiet the nationalistic pride, all sorts of things like that, so that Austria could have a tighter hold on Hungary and eventually try and push out its existence in general. This is when we see Francis II Rakotsi lead an anti-Austrian war for independence in 1703. This war lasted until 1711 and resulted in a brutal defeat for the Rakotsi Revolutionary Army. The only positive results from this was the fact that Hungary was not fighting any other wars at the time, so it had time to heal from the damage of this small internal war and the one that had just happened with the Ottomans. However, Hungarians began to face a lot of mistreatment from Austrian rulers who wanted their realm to be fully Austrian in culture and would do anything to make it so. Hungary remained under Habsburg rule throughout the 1700s, and this would lead to the very prominent figures in Habsburg history affecting Hungary heavily. One of the most important ones is Maria Theresa. So Empress Maria Theresa ascended the throne in 1740 and introduced several reforms aimed at centralizing power and modernizing the administration. She strengthened the position of the Habsburgs in Hungary and initiated changes in the legal and fiscal systems so that the power and flow of money would shift towards the Austrians once again. Then her successor, Joseph II, became the Holy Roman Emperor and King of Hungary in 1780, and he implemented a series of reforms inspired by the principles of the Enlightenment, because him, just like his mother, was an enlightened despot, which is a ruler that uses their power to kind of embody the Enlightenment and push forward laws and things that work for the people rather than just benefiting the royal family, allegedly, at least. So some of Joseph's reforms aimed to promote religious tolerance, the expansion of education, 
and an increase in administrative efficiency. However, many of his policies faced opposition from the Hungarian nobility, who wanted to preserve their traditional privileges that they had long held over the peasant class and working class for a long time. And the 1700s also saw some economic growth and agricultural improvements for Hungary, because trade and commerce was being expanded heavily, and certain regions experienced great prosperity from this, but there still was a pretty big gap of wealth, especially with the Austrians being the ones to push it forward so much. And in the year 1773, the Jesuit order was actually suppressed by the Pope, specifically Pope Clement Fourteenth, and the properties of the Jesuits were confiscated. This had an impact on education and religious life in Hungary, as the Jesuits had played a significant role in the education and missionary work done nationwide. In 1772, a year before, Hungary participated in the petition of Poland, along with Austria and Russia, and as a result, Hungary gained some Polish territories, mainly in present-day Slovakia, as well as in Ruthenia in the east, and Galicia. Galicia. Szczecini Istvan was a count of Hungary in the 1790s, and he recognized that Hungary was lagging behind in the process of industrializing. With his position of power, he advocated heavily for the beautification, modernization, and expansion of Hungary. He acted in a way that pushed forward policies set on helping Hungary find its national pride through coining the use of the Hungarian language, Hungarian art, and celebrating its personal culture rather than just falling heavily into the Austrian one. Speaking of Austria, the Austrian Empire was founded in 1804 and, of course, included Hungary at this time. This further expanded the restriction of rights for Hungarians because now... Austrians were focused on expanding their empire and didn't want any internal things breaking out, so they thought the further suppression would lead to more peace. Of course, they were wrong, and the Hungarians actually rebelled for more rights in the 1820s, despite all that was going on. But these revolutions and kind of movements for rights didn't work in the 1820s. But bigger changes come in 1848, when the Hungarian revolutions of 1848 occur. These were inspired by the explosion of national pride in Hungary and across Europe that happened in the 1800s. So the Hungarian people allied under a unified cause to defeat the Austrians and challenge them to warfare. The Hungarians saw a lot of early success winning major battles across the nations, but the Austrians were not so easily defeated, and they employed the help of Russia to actually quash the Hungarian resistance because, of course, Austria, quote-unquote, makes marriages while other countries make war, and the fact that somewhere down the line there was a great connection with russia and austria because of some marriage or sister or mother or something so russia was very happy to come in and quash the hungarian resistance so that their friends the austrians could hold all the power they wanted and despite this great defeat hungarians would not be silenced and the cries for independence continued to get louder and louder throughout the century and this led to an agreement between the two rivaling nations which occurred in 1867 and was the date of creation for Austria-Hungary, which was a dual monarchy with power split between the two nations. This led to the nation rapidly modernizing after a long period of stagnation, where Hungary was fighting so many wars throughout the 1700s and most of the 1800s that they were not great inheritors of the Industrial Revolution like the rest of Europe was, but once they united with Austria, things started to look up. And it was also in the 60s that the cities of Buda, Ohuda and Pest all combined into Budapest, which is now the capital of Hungary and has been since the 1860s. Then, beautification projects would continue and Hungary would construct itself the marvel of a government building it has, which is one of the most gorgeous ones in the entire world. 
Then, by the end of the 1800s, Hungary would complete one of the world's first underground railroad systems, which meant that it went from being one of the most behind nations to one of the most advanced nations in Europe. After the late 1800s, we roll right into the early 1900s, which is World War I. Hungary sides with Germany in the Great War and was very involved in the war until 1916. The emperor of Hungary died that same year, and Hungary began pulling out of the war. But despite this, Hungary was still on the losing side of the war. This meant that some harder policies were laid at the feet of Hungary, and it would be the government's issue to deal with since they did choose to side with Austria and Germany, despite them being on the wrong side of the war. It would be after the war that the Austro-Hungarian unification was split up, and Hungary was sent into a spiral trying to figure out what the next move was. And this would be even worse because then, in 1920, the Treaty of Trianon was signed, which carved Hungary up. It took away 70% of its former territory, giving it away to Romania, Croatia, Austria, and other nearby powers, and left it at just 30% of its former size, which is the size of it today at its modern borders. And then throughout the interwar period, different things happened, but the most important one was Regent Michael Oswerthy led an opposition to depose the new Hungarian emperor. And Swerthy took power for himself and made the nation shift to a very fascist regime, and he eventually allied himself with Nazi Germany before the start of World War II. World War II began in 1939, and again, Hungary made the mistake of siding with Germany. This made Hungary a loser in the war once again, and there was a time during the war that Hungary was taken over by German forces despite trying to come to an armistice with the Allied powers, and this occupation of Hungary by Germany lasted only for six months because the Soviets came and liberated Hungary from Nazi rule, and Nazi defeat came not long after that. But despite the rule of the Nazis being very short, their influence was felt heavily, as the Jewish population was devastated by the war, and so was the economy nationwide. And I try not to get into it too much, because it's just a dark, dark time, but when it comes to how bad it got in Hungary, it's definitely something you should look into for yourself, because despite the Nazis only being there for a short time, they were very active in Hungary and did a lot to make sure that they got what they wanted in Hungary. Of course, you know what that means, and it's terrible, and the Jewish population is still recovering from this today. And getting back to 1945, saying liberated is a very forgiving term when it comes to the Soviets taking over, because Soviet rule begins in 1945, and Hungary was then transformed into the Hungarian People's Republic, which is not a great thing for Hungary. Hungarians began to experience every single thing that was very common across all Stalinist territories, things such as extreme human rights abuses, unreasonable punishments, and extreme suppression of rights. And this culminated when the Hungarian Revolt of 1956 occurred. It broke out to challenge abusive Soviet rule and led to the Soviets invading the land with tanks and other armed forces, and actually led to the Soviet Union causing the deaths of 5,000 Hungarians. Then we would see the rise of one of the greatest politicians in Hungarian history, Janos Kadar, who takes power in 1961. He led massive reforms that guaranteed rights for citizens, expanded the quality of life, and helped increase the peace within daily activities for Hungarians, despite still being under the rule of the USSR. And then the 60s and 70s would be filled with great political and economic reform. The biggest of these would be dubbed the new economic mechanism. These reforms allowed for some market mechanisms and economic decentralization, leading to increased living standards and a relatively more prosperous economy compared to other Eastern Bloc countries, because now Hungary was able to privatize just enough to kind of keep themselves going. 
And then Hungary, under the leadership of Janos Kader, adopted a more liberal approach to communism known as goulash communism. This term refers to the idea that the regime allowed for more individual freedoms and some consumer choices while maintaining the one-party rule. In the late 1980s, Hungary made significant gestures toward dismantling the Iron Curtain. In May of 1989, Hungary began dismantling its barbed wire border with Austria, allowing East Germans to escape to the West. This move contributed to a wave of immigration and added pressure on other Eastern Bloc countries to do the same. On August 19, 1989, an event called the Pan-European Picnic was held on the Hungarian-Austrian border. This was when several hundred East Germans used the event as an opportunity to cross into Austria, further highlighting the cracks in the Eastern Bloc's border controls and a weakening in any support for Soviet unity. And the Hungarian Communist Party, which had been in power since the end of the war, started to sense a need for change, and they started embracing reform. In October of 1989, the party formally abandoned its one-party rule and declared itself a socialist party. Hungary also adopted a new democratic constitution, which marked a huge shift in the political landscape for the nation. In late 1989, roundtable talks began between the communist government and the opposition parties. These talks aimed to negotiate a peaceful transition to a multi-party system and led the groundwork for Hungary's first free elections. And once the Soviet Union actually started to really crumple as you get to the year 1990, free elections are held in March of 1990. Hungary held its first free election since World War II on this day, and the Hungarian Socialist Party suffered a defeat, and a coalition government led by the Hungarian Democratic Forum took power, marking the end of communist rule in Hungary. And this democratic forum would be known as Fidesz, which won 21 seats in the National Assembly in the early 1990s, and Fidesz identified itself as a liberal party. This is when we see Viktor Orban become the leader of the Fidesz party in 1993 and lead the party into parliamentary elections of 1994. And it would be in the parliamentary elections four years later that Fidesz won a narrow victory, forming a coalition government with the Hungarian Democratic Forum and the Independent Smallholders Party. Orban became prime minister at the age of 35, making him one of the youngest heads of government in the world at the time. His government pursued various economic and social reform, but it faced criticism and challenges leading to their defeat in the 2002 elections. After losing these elections, Orban and the Fidesz party went into opposition. During this time, Orban shifted the party's ideology from liberalism to conservative nationalism. He criticized the socialist-led government for corruption and economic mismanagement. And then Hungary in 2004 would join the EU and eventually join NATO. In 2010, during the parliamentary elections, Fidesz won a landslide victory, securing two-thirds majority in the National Assembly. Viktor Orban became the prime minister once again and initiated a series of controversial reforms, including changes to the constitution, media laws, and the judiciary, which all allowed for more consolidation of power for the Fidesz party and Orban himself. And critics, of course, raised concerns about this because this seemed like an attempt to erode democratic institutions and kind of eliminate any checks and balances that the government had to place on Orban. And then as prime minister, Orban pursued policies promoting what he called illiberal democracy and emphasized nationwide sovereignty and identity. His government was critical of the European Union and it adapted new laws which were focused on strong immigration stances especially during the European migration crisis of 2015, which occurred because of the wars happening in the Middle East. And Orban's government faced criticism from various domestic and international 
entities over concerns about democratic backsliding and the concentration of power. Critics accused him once again of undermining the independence of the judiciary and limiting civil freedoms of the nation. And he started to enact more and more anti-immigration laws as well as anti-LGBT laws within the nation. And then from here, Fidesz starts to sign into power more and more laws that reduce the rights of the opposition powers in the government. And that pretty much gets us to the present day, where Hungary is ranked as very high on the Human Development Index, and despite that, they are still having some issues. The Orban-led government has been dubbed autocratic by most international viewers, and he has held power pretty much unchecked since 2010. The Fidesz party is continuously consolidating power and has been able to enact many laws that have greatly limited the ability for any opposition to rise against them. And on top of that, just one day ago, the U.S. actually limited the access of Hungarian visas and has limited the validity of passports because of rising security risk, as they see it in Hungary. This is due to, in 2011, Hungary enacted a naturalization policy that allowed one million Hungarians to be naturalized. And it was only in the last two or three years that an identification process and deeper screening was added on to that naturalization policy. So... The U.S. sees this as a security risk, and on behalf of the U.S., quotes have been said that the U.S. has given many opportunities for there to be checks and screenings done with this policy that Hungary has done, and now the U.S., as of literally yesterday, has stated that they don't feel comfortable granting such access to Hungary despite it being in Europe because they do feel there is security risk involved and that American citizens may be in danger. And that gets us to the end. And, you know, this country is doing pretty well overall. It's got good things going on, but it's definitely got a lot of struggle. Despite Budapest being absolutely stunning and their capital building just being gorgeous, there is a lot of issues here, a lot of issues with political freedom and civil liberties, but the country is doing its best, and we shall see how it goes. And with that, I want to leave it with kind of a takeaway or a mindset, and with Hungary, that is stand your ground. I say that very simply with Hungary because ever since the Magyars arrived, they have stood their ground. They placed their heels quite literally in the dirt and started building homes, building a culture. And since the 800s and for the past 1400 years, they have been building and growing and expanding their culture and figuring out what it means to be a Magyar slash Hungarian. And they have gone through wars. They've been under other powers. But despite that, they have never, ever given up the fight for their Hungarian culture for holding on to their Magyar roots, all of those things. And I think it's a very simple line drive for you. If you believe something, you have passions, talents, culture, any of these things in you, they're going to be challenged at some point. People are going to try and shake it. People are going to try and change it. People are going to try and challenge you, push you out of it, all sorts of things like that. The most simple way to counter that is to dig your heels in and stand your ground. And no matter what beliefs come your way, no matter what people push you up, down, all around, anything... If you stand your ground and fight fully for what you believe in, then you'll be all right. You'll get through. You'll have the confidence to do it. And then after you've done it, you'll have even more confidence to push forward into harder things. So with that, I say thank you so much for being here. I hope you're able to apply that to your life. I hope you enjoyed Hungarian history because I absolutely did. I remember seeing this on the list and going, oh boy, we're going to go back far because I there's literally two millennia of history here. That just doesn't stop because they've been recording it forever and there's been so many prominent people groups, all sorts of things. But Hungary was very interesting and Budapest is beautiful. So thank you all so much for being here.
definitely keep your eye on Hungarian politics. And that is all I have to say to you guys. So I hope you enjoyed. I hope all is well. I hope you got something out of this. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and this is Hungary. You guys have a good one.